Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 108th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Imagine you are hopping into the shower. Unless you are a true masochist, the prospect of taking a freezing cold shower or a scolding hot one probably aren't what you had in mind. And yet, much of our current economic policy seems to follow our shower dichotomy. As discussed on a previous episode of this podcast, capitalism has the charming allure of a warm shower, but oftentimes leaves people and businesses feeling pretty burnt. Socialism promises to temper the flames of capitalism, but much like a cold shower, tends to stifle innovation, keeping us all frozen in place. As the U.S. and other countries begin vaccinating and slowly exiting the grim lockdown conditions, a great question emerges as to how exactly should we be moving forward? Should the government, through FDR stimulus spending and public works program, be the road we choose to follow? Or should the easing of government restrictions and lower taxes be the preferred remedy that will spark plug the economy back to pre-pandemic levels? People eager to return to normalcy will no doubt have a preferred preference that they believe will get us to where we want to be the quickest. But what if the valves of our economic success, much like our shower, need some adjustment? Is there anyone in their right mind who wouldn't reach to turn on the cold water when their body is being scorched? Or a person who wouldn't hesitate to jump into a hot jacuzzi when outside temperatures are below freezing? Much like investing, sometimes a more timid and diverse approach might be the best way to move forward. Joining me to help find the right economic temperature, I am once again joined by Joe. Joe, I think we could agree that the only thing worse than a hot or cold shower is no shower. That's right. Absolutely. And I think that that's a beautiful intro. Um, And I do think we're at a point now where we're trying to figure out what temperature we really want it to be. And it's not so clear. Um, I think that we both know uh, that a lot of help is needed at this point in time. There are a lot of people suffering and there are a lot of systemic issues that we're now seeing come to light with e-commerce hitting numbers that they were not projected to hit for the next 10 years. Right. So this will fundamentally change the way we function as an economy. So actually it'll be interesting to see what the stimulus actually stimulates. I, I you know, I, I largely, I, I agree that we are in, first off, we are in very unique times. And I think, I, I think that to, to, you know, whether you fall on the capitalist or socialist divide, I, I've always said, and I've, I've like studied this in a lot of public policy classes, is that when you have some kind of devastation, some kind of depression, pandemic or so forth, everybody wants government intervention. I don't care how much of a um, Texas oil tycoon, pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of guy that you are. It's like there are times where you really need a guiding hand to kind of get us out of the forest. And I, I think there's a fear that that guiding hand will be there forever because you know, another rule in politics is once someone obtains a power, they don't wanna give up that power. So that that's something that we kind of have to bear in mind. But I think I think as of right now, we, we definitely are in need of a guiding hand. I agree. I mean, wholeheartedly. I mean, there are people that are just really suffering, and especially from the lower end of the bracket. 
when you have a large number of the individuals making $40,000 or less a year that have now uh, lost their jobs. Uh, these are people that are working in restaurants and in the service industry that you start to say, okay, what needs to be done in order to provide them with interim solutions as well as a long-term plan to getting them back to work. And that's really going to be the challenge. I don't, you know, I think that we've come up with some very good interim solutions and, you know, the stimulus of $1,200 checks, some of these uh, plans for evictions uh, and, and delaying evictions is, uh, you know, they're, they're helpful, but I don't know if they're the solution, like long-term solution. So I think that that's where we really are. What needs to actually change? What policy changes? And even what short-term help will enable people to get back on their feet? Uh, because again, if this is just a short, you know, uh, a short-term fix, then it becomes a little bit problematic as to, all right, I have my $1,200, now what? <laughs> and, yeah, and I, that, and I think that that's where we are, to be quite honest. Yeah, and in a place like New York, twelve hundred dollars doesn't take you far, my friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. And the the thing about it is, I, I I I like the way that you broke this problem down to both interim solutions and long term solutions because I think that if there was no pandemic at all, and this is something that I, I just discussed on my last episode. I think that this is a conversation we would still probably be having because automation has been around before the pandemic. Like there's already been a trend, a lot of, of, of a lot of these kind of retail jobs, service, service economy jobs kind of just disappearing before the pandemic. And I think that that issue now has become like enmeshed with the pandemic, but it was there before. So let's let's think about the interim solutions first, okay? I, I I was you know just reading the you know the journal this morning and 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 they were even kind and you know the journal's fairly economically conservative but even they were saying like would tax breaks necessarily like create more incentive to hire people and the reason it may not work and maybe it worked in previous times is that if those jobs are just not there to be had they're just not there to be had. So I, I think that's something that, that when we're thinking about even in the interim solution, oh, we'll, we'll just spark plug this, this, it's like, it's like an old car. Well, you know, there's only so many times that you can pull up another car and connect the batteries and it's kind of, you know, jolt the darn thing before you actually have to get your battery changed. And I think that's where we're at at this point. I don't think that any kind of like little jolt is going to keep us running for that much longer. No, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And there, there's something unique to this period of time, too. I mean, you've seen the stock market actually sustain itself during this uh, pandemic. Now, it's not at the same level, but and you've, and you've seen drastic swings. But there's something interesting with that. In previous downturns, at least the market would somewhat reflect what was going on in the economy. That's not always the case. That's not the case here. Yeah. And which is actually interesting in its own right, because it comes back to another issue is you see things like e-commerce that are fundamentally changing the economy. So these companies that are e-commerce companies and, and, and uh, 
that are trading on the on the exchange, they're actually doing really well right now. Yeah. But what's going to happen to the people that are no longer able to go back to work, primarily because people are ordering their food online. People are now, you know, in certain cases, companies are insulating themselves from future pandemics. Like they, they've been disrupted. So they're going to automate certain processes uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise automated. So these things are going to now become priorities. Those companies will sustain their valuations. But what's going to happen to the people that are not longer at work? And, and, and that's the really difficult question to answer, because this is where traditional economic uh, numbers may not tell us what to actually do or policy, uh, uh, policy decisions in the past that will really not necessarily be the guiding light as to how to get out of this. Um, and that's where the idea of something like a UBI and something that Andrew Yang has brought up may be a, a solution of sorts, but we have to be very careful with those types of solutions as well. I mean, we can't just arbitrarily just make that decision is to say, okay, I think this is just gonna be something where we allocate this amount uh, you know, uh, per month to each American, which personally, I am actually, I, I don't have an opinion either way yet, on that because I really don't know what the long-term uh, uh, effects of that may be, uh, even on our political system. Sure. Uh, but it has to be on the table as far as being a discussion for the discussion because it's it's the only way I see certain people being able to sustain themselves too. Oh yeah, I, I think a lot of things are now on the table and they probably have always been on the table, but you know, we had the luxury of ignoring it. And then I think something like a pandemic kind of um, removes that luxury of just not seeing it any, you know, pretending it's not there, but now we know that it is there. One idea, and this is an idea I've been, you know, again, I'm not an economist, but one thing I've been grappling with is this idea that the Great Depression was actually built into the 1920s. And, and the theory goes that because so many people were buying things on credit. So many people were buying stocks on margin, and you know, and then you kind of see this behavior also with the 2008 um, housing sure. crisis, where credit margin, um, pay us subprime mortgages, pay us back when you can. You know, that kind of behavior has a way of like artificially inflating the the, the stock market. And then I think that's exactly what happened in the 1920s is that um, there were so many people buying things on credit and, you know, on paper, you're like, oh, you know, we sold a hundred washing machines today. Yay. Oh, wait a minute. 90% of those people bought that washing machine on credit. And okay, you know, they kept up a few payments for a couple months, but eventually it just comes to the point where no matter how much you're buying things on credit, if you don't have a job, you're going to run out of credit eventually. And then everything kind of just kind of comes to a screeching halt. And I think that's exactly what happened in 2008. They got these people who did not qualify, who had little to no income into houses. Maybe they made, you know, like mortgage payments for like three months or something. And it, and it seemed like, a, like a, a touchdown in the moment. But then that person doesn't really have a job or they are working part-time and they can't afford that house. Reality just comes and bites you. And that's one of the things that I kind of see 
with some of this, not, not, I look, I, I think people should get to that. I don't want to be the dude who's like, no, no, we shouldn't get $2,000 checks. Um, but at the same time though, you kind of, if you inject a lot of these temporary measures with no long-term game, I think you're going to have, you're going to basically move the goal line. Like you're going to, you're going to delay uh, the recession. You're going to delay the depression. Well, we're probably already in a recession, but you're going to delay the depression from happening. But if there's no long-term game, it's still going to happen. Right. And I think uh, basically what is the fundamental problem that we're solving? Yeah. You know, and, and that comes back to even some of these idea of the stimulus package to begin with, you know, what are the, and, and I, and the idea of irrational exuberance playing a role in this, you know, there are these, that there are these times that people just start behaving irrationally and, and whether that be the 2008 crisis, the 2000 crisis, whether you go back all the way down to the Great Depression, yeah, you what you identified is the fundamentals aren't sound for the for the way the economy is perceived to be uh, be performing, and I think that that's where we're talking about what is the stimulus actually doing? You know, we can give a stimulus out. But what is it actually doing? Is it providing a situation where you're going to be uh, able to uh, have some long-term sustainable employment for individuals? And I don't see, and that, and that's the hard part about this particular package is that I have not seen anything uh, that really addresses some of the fundamental concerns that these businesses might not be coming back. Right. Yes. And in it's it's really it, 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 I have not seen a lot of uh, literature on what the Small Business Administration is doing, you know, to, to to facilitate loans for restaurants and places like that. I mean, and in certain cases, I can tell you just personally from where I work, you know, uh, and I know this is anecdotal at best, but people working remotely now. That means. All those places that were restaurants and, and that we're planning for in these these corporate campuses and things along those lines, they're gone. And, yeah. as are, and those jobs are gone. So what is really being done to manage that transition? And it's not clear to me. And that's really a risk for, I think, the economy as a whole. And, then, and it's also a risk to the political environment in D.C. as the government's going to be seen as incompetent in actually when they uh, when they come up with these fiscal packages that they're really not getting the bang for their buck that they need and that i think it's going to um, taint the reputation of the government in, in an unfair way hmm. um if if the money doesn't get to where it needs to be and i and, and i and I've, i struggled i've struggled quite a bit to figure out what are the problems that really can be solved with this package, like long-term, long-term yeah, right. problems. So I'm always talking about long-term in this particular instance. So. And, and as you should, because look, I, I think let's just say each of us gets our, you know, another $1,400 or $2,000 in two weeks from now. It's funny that you said that all of the e-commerce businesses are doing really well, because I think everyone gets their stimulus. They spend it on essential goods, you know, they, uh, you know, I know my girlfriend is obsessed with going on walmart.com and all, you know, like, oh, we can buy the right toilet paper now. And, and, right, right. and, and like all of these e-commerce companies are going to do well with a stim, even if the stimulus money goes to us, we're going to be 
handing it right over to them buying essential goods essentially and their their stock prices are going to do just fine and they they're, they're going to you know their their the value of these companies is going to be healthy as a result of our stimulus um, spending you know to, to keep to keep uh, us afloat but then as you said eventually it's going to come to a point where it's like we can't keep passing stimuluses and people don't have jobs to go back to and how do you kind of remedy the the larger more systemic problem of that of, of 50% of storefronts gone and just never coming back and any of these e-commerce you know there's people that work at e-commerce companies, but not anywhere in the scale uh, that used to, you know, that it would take to, to run a good old fashioned storefront. No, that's a great point. And I, and I think that what this is ultimately going to result in, and that the discussion that needs to be had more than anything is what are economic, what are good economic indicators in this environment? It's no longer the idea of market capitalization. No. And so that is that, that may be a part of it at some point, but it's not the only measure that we ought to be looking. It's not the only measure we look at now. We look at unemployment. We look, you know, we look at costs. We also look at you know price indexes. There's a whole host of these things that we we already look at. But I do think that there are going to be some other things that we're going to have to analyze. Uh, differently. And, and I think the way people basically are employed, what types of jobs that we have, we're going to have to look a little bit more closely at that. We already do. We yeah. look at a lot of these things already. But um, I, I do think that, that we need to really analyze what is it, the stimulus, what did it actually accomplish? Mm-hmm. Or what is it accomplishing? Because if it's only pushing the market cap up for Amazon, then I don't see us necessarily. I think that that could be actually uh, detrimental, not only to the country, but to, or to people like Amazon themselves, uh, because they're going to see a backlash out of yeah. that if people are suffering and ultimately they're doing really, really well. And this will, you know, opens the door up to a whole lot of whole host of problems. Yes. Now, I'm just going to preface everything that we say moving forward. This is all entirely brainstorming, okay? Sure, so, yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, and, and I'm going to be looking at economics, not as an economist, because I don't know how to look at it as an economist, but as a philosopher, because I do, I do see capitalism fundamentally as a philosophical system of thought. And I think that the basic idea of capitalism is getting raw materials, getting resources, manufacturing, and then having a market to sell those goods to. Okay. That's always, and and that's, I think that's a holdover from mercantilism, you know, finding Mm -hmm. a market to, to sell your goods to. And for capitalism to work, there has to be a market that's willing to buy what it is that you're producing. It could be, it could be money to see a film. It could be money to go to a restaurant. It could be money to purchase physical goods. And if people are too darn poor to do any of that, the, the philosophy of capitalism actually fails in itself. If, if, the, if the general populace or the general market in which you're trying to sell goods, I don't care how crazy your advertising campaign is. You can have the best you know, Don Draper marketing strategist working at your company. If people just don't got the money, then they just don't got the money. They're broke. 
And okay, they can they can max out their Amex and their Visa, but we talked about this already. Eventually it's gonna come to a point where it's like you have no more credit, you can't buy anything. So the way I the only way out that I see from this is is I think UBI could be definitely something to, to get us through. But I think perhaps government really starting to invest in like companies that are building things locally and starting to build and, and, and produce goods and produce things that, that we're generating within, you know, within, within our borders. And the reason I say that that's so important is because you need people that have enough money to buy stuff. And, and I think that this, 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 this worldview that we've been going through where everything is made abroad, right? And the, and the theory behind this is because every business owner just said to themselves, right? Like we're gonna have everything manufactured abroad more cheaply, right? And they were, each company was kind of individually thinking of themselves and, and it may be rightfully so, right? They need to be competitive. If, if you're, if Samsung is building their phones for a lot cheaper, well, you know, you're at a huge disadvantage if you're having them made here in the good old US of A. But I think the government needs to kind of start corralling these businesses to start building stuff here, infrastructure. Um, again, we love our widgets. We love our iPhones. We love our electronics. We love these things. And to not only build these things here, but to build them at a wage that allows us to want to become, to become a self-sufficient market where we can start building stuff and start buying the very same things that we're making. I, as a long-term solution, I don't see another way out of this. I, I really, I really don't. If we continue to outsource everything, well, then the people of this country do not have the wages to actually be a market. And, and I, and I actually see this. You know, this is not just a, a United States problem. This is going to be a problem globally. Yeah. Uh, you know, going forward, uh, and 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 some of these things is that. And this is where UBI becomes a lot more interesting because some of the things that you talked about is even paying the living wage. Well, the minute you know the wages go too high, and I and I and I, and I don't mean they're too high, but <laughs> they're not. But but when does automation become the more viable option? Right. Yeah. And so that even if you have a living wage, well, okay, sometimes that forces creates an environment where they're, you're going to automate people's jobs. And I think that that's really the, 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 the problem that we're faced with. And this is a unique time in uh, American and economic history in, in the sense that we really are going to have a lot of jobs automated out of existence. So then what are people going to do? And that's the difficult uh, problem. And one of the indicators I would probably would want to think about a little bit more is the idea of, all right, how, what percentage of jobs are even available anymore? Right. Exactly. Yes. And then how does that relate to something like UBI? How does that relate to, um, uh, to, uh, the, and, and the future of work needs to really be considered in this and the, how to measure like, okay, we're not going to let, people just fall completely off uh, off the grid in, in the sense that they're no longer even part of the employment numbers. So I, I, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible challenge that 
because I don't necessarily think that it's something where you can throw out all previous economic uh, philosophy or uh, policies that, you know, capitalistic, socialist at all. Like, I don't think you can necessarily disregard everything from the past. Mm -hmm. But we are at a unique time in history. We are. And I, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult challenge for governments to really solve some of these problems for people right now. And I think that that's where industry and government need to come together and really come, you know, start to really think about these. And I think somebody like Andrew Yang really is a unique individual and politician, if you want to call him that, uh, in this particular circumstance, because I think that he has an understanding of uh, a lot of these uh, issues that people are now faced with. Right. And, it, and, and I, and I think he also understands, uh, you know, things like the, how disability works and how some of these other programs work. And that's the other aspect of this is that we have programs that are in place now, mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily providing everything they need to for the citizens of this country. And, and I think that that's something else that needs to be looked at very closely. Why aren't they providing, you know, we're, we, we spend a lot of money on some of these programs in certain cases, um, and they aren't necessarily providing the need or meeting the needs of the individuals uh, that they're servicing. And that's where government, again, has to really evaluate itself as much as we need to evaluate the other aspects. Yeah, no, I, so I think you made some really um, critical points here, and that is, one, if the wages do get too high, then um, companies will start automating, and, that, and that's a natural, that's a natural knee-jerk reaction, 100%. Or over-regulate, either. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course, you know, absolutely. My only, my, my fear is that if it's just UBI and then nothing else, the problem is still there, you know, the problem of people not because again, okay, everyone's there's there's not like the answer would be no one is going to have any jobs anymore and we're all going to live off $12,000 a year. Well, that doesn't seem like a very happy and promising future. That seems like an utter complete nightmare. So let's have UBI. But I think that if we're not investing in what I would like, to, some kind of even fiat economy, we're not we're not gonna necessarily pull ourselves out of this one. And I, I think something as simple as imagine there was a company, right, that hired people to paint other people's houses. You know, I'm just thinking like I'm thinking of jobs that just can't necessarily like one thing I was I was reading about is when it comes to like things that require the human hand, there's very specific like manual tasks that a machine just cannot really do at a high level at this point. Like, and, and first off, if you were to, let's say, just paint someone's wall, are you really going to bring in like a, you know, a $200,000 robot into someone's apartment and let the robot paint someone's house? So I, I think creating this almost like patchwork or this, like having UBI, but having like a fiat kind of like economy where it's like, we need people to paint this building for a week and you hire a bunch of people and then they do that job and then they go back home for another week and then you bring them in to bring some other kind of job. And there's this kind of some, some system built in there that's kind of producing value 
value. You always want to be building something. You never, you never want people to be just at home and hanging around on street corners. And I, I, I fundamentally agree because I, I do think that if people are just hanging around on street corners, they are prime candidates for radicalization. Like if you got, sure, if you, especially, exactly. especially your young unemployed men, my goodness, us, you know, young unemployed men are like a communist or a fascist wet dream right there. <laughs> Just, you know, you have no, and, and I mean, and that's the fear that the environment that we're now creating and that we're now faced with, that's the problem is yeah. that we have so many people that are graduating with high levels of debt Sure. And very little hope. And one thing that we've spoken to in the past with unrealistic expectations that I'm going to live better than my parents did. Like that's an automatic that 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 is a belief. It's not, not an automatic when that simply is not sustainable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, this is where you're starting to see, you know, various, you know, uh, movements, whether they be fascist types movements. Uh, or, you know, almost, you know, to communist type of movements that, you know, you have these, these radical communists, anyway, they're, they're essentially becoming radicalized because they don't have a lot of hope or even prospects at this point. And I think that that's something that we really actually have to think about in the long term. What are we going to end up with if we don't address these issues sooner rather than I absolutely. Mean, it, I, absolutely. I, I, I think I think the storming of the Capitol was an example of that. I, I I don't think, you know, I've spoken to people, oh, those people were middle class. I'm like, those people, most of them were not middle class. I think most of them were desperate at, at that point for, for something. And then I think I think all sorts of extreme radicals that engage in violence on both the left and the right that's coming from a place of desperation, right? Like if you have a house that you love and a job that you love and, you know, things in that house that you love, you're not going to run into a Capitol building and lose all of that and, and end up with a criminal record. You're going to be like, well, I don't want to lose my job. But right, if exactly. you if you have no job or you're working as a gas station attendant part-time, you're going to say to yourself, geez, I don't really have that much to lose. Screw it. Let's just, let's just flip the table over and, and see what comes of it. Who knows? Maybe I'll be a high ranking fascist general when this is all over, right? That's the kind of like mindset that you have of these people. And, and as you said, they're also burdened with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. The UBI is, is, your, is, your, is your immediate first aid. You're, you put that UBI on, like you, that's the tourniquet that's making sure that you don't lose the arm. You know, you're just right. wrapping that up. Right. That's your food in there. But there's got to be a like, what's our new economy going to look like? That, that's the question that we have to start answering. I don't want to see it become completely state controlled because then that tends to consolidate and centralize power in the hands of a few. But right. We have to start thinking about like we have some pretty darn rich companies and though and there's other people who want to get rich you could start making more companies that are providing that there could be a company a privately run company that delivers food to the elderly there could be a private company that goes and cleans up parks there could be a company that sends tutors into public schools and just you know finance you know and just reinforces the adults in these buildings you know this there's so many things that we need 
that machines just cannot do at this point, or it would just be ridiculous. To, you, can't, well, you, can't, you can't have like an army of 80 robots cleaning up Central Park. That's something that humans could easily do. It's really the hardest part about this problem overall, I think, is not only with the pandemic, the shock that it's caused to the system and, and what, re what will result to that, but it, these are very difficult things to answer even prior to the pandemic. Yes. You know, how fast is the future going to be here? And I have read, you know, you, you read all types of individuals and they all have different opinions about how quickly these the, these uh, jobs will be automated out of existence. When will human work even be necessary anymore? Um, and, you know, I've seen projections of five years uh, and, and on, on the, I mean, which is insane. Because, you know, being close enough to situations uh, to where people will be automated out of jobs, I see it that that's not something you just flip the switch and it happens. Right. Yeah. So so it, it was going to be the problem. The pandemic is is has brought with it, is it really has brought all these problems to the forefront. Yes. Yes. It and has. it's going to really uh, speed up that process. So now then we really have to answer these questions a little bit more quickly than we would have had to otherwise. And, and I think that's where we are right now. And getting back to you know, the individuals uh, that, that had uh, stormed the Capitol, the thing that was so scary to me about that is that you know, you're right, they, they weren't middle class necessarily where they had a lot to lose. But there seemed to be a small contingent that were maybe they were probably just worried and they still did have things to lose. Mm -hmm. You know, they're a very small contingent and how they were able to rile up other people to do something which was, you know, uh, completely irrational. Yes. So that's what's really more alarming is how quickly people can be spun up. And, 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 and that's something that's where this is a real call for ideas at this point. And, and I don't necessarily, and I think the, the really important part about coming up with real solutions that are sustainable, they can't be ideological. No, they can't be. And, and that's the only way we'll, I honestly think we'll get through this. It can't be, I think the economy needs to do this. And it's kind of, there's a, there are a set of values that we have to have. And, we have to negotiate what those trade-offs are going to be. And that, yeah. that, that, that won't happen unless the political climate, and, and I do think Biden has shown, and I'm you know, trying to um, bring too much politics into, the, into this particular conversation, but just something simple where he has said, uh, you know, not speaking ill of the other side of the aisle uh, to his staffers or everybody, or you'll be fired is something to me is a very good sign that is positive uh, i like i love to see kind of stuff because i think that i think all walks of life have answers and i think they have something to bring to the table i think i think some of the the worst bosses don't listen to the people that are working on the floor and actually be right. like hey how's things going how's business anything i can do or anything we need to change around here you know and like that's, you know, I always think that communication is going to be what saves us and trust, trust and communication amongst sure, all yeah. of us is going to be the way out of this. And, you, you know, I, I, I think thinking, you know, and I'm kind of speaking here to my large 
entrepreneur, you know, business class people here. I'm actually your friend in a way because I'm trying to save, I'm trying to save this country from some kind of hostile fascist or communist type revolution that kind of destroys all of that stuff. Like I'm actually a friend of capitalism in a way because if we start with very pragmatic solutions to all of these problems, right? Like, okay, for every job automated, we have 10 people unemployed. Great, you, you're, you know, in the next quarter, your stocks are going up because you automated, fantastic. Where is that gonna be leaving your company uh, 10 years down the line when everyone's too bloody poor to afford anything that you're manufacturing anymore? So you see, Every, every wealthy person's wealth is actually at risk because if you have too many poor people in this country, okay, yeah, you'll have an island of, you know, 50,000 elites that live in a gated community. Great, you know, but most people that just have any money right now, your money is at risk if you have too many darn pe poor people who can't buy what it is that you're selling. And I, I think that could be like... Um, a plea to almost kind of slow down the automation as, as much as possible. And I get that, I get that no one wants to be the odd man out. You know, if, if Microsoft says, okay, we're not doing any more automation and then all these other companies do it, well, they're going to be the odd guy out. I get it, but there has to be some kind of collective talk about that amongst these companies of like, Hey, we're going to wreck this whole, we have it pretty darn good right now. We're going to wreck this whole game if we keep pushing it too far. You know, I'm not saying that we can't get to a point where everything is automated, but we're not ready for that just yet. I mean, I really like the way you phrase that in the sense that, uh, well, we want to get to a point of sustainability, right? Yeah. And I, and I think that this is a, um, a, this is where Andrew Yang has really been ahead of the curve. He's like, there are parts of automation that you're not going to be able to stop. And part of that is like the delivery of food, right? You're automating, you know, truck drivers jobs and you're bringing down the price of food. Therefore there's something that's beneficial, but you're going to have this whole slew of individuals that are now unemployed. Sure. So, so what are you going to do about that? And we are all at risk if you don't answer that problem. And it, and it really would, I think, uh, and the reason I, 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 I think he's, uh, an excellent candidate um, to explain this to business leaders is to say, you know, just what you just said was perfect in that it really is a, a, a situation where we're all at risk. Yes. You know, it, it doesn't matter how much money you're making, you know, if you're a trillionaire, it really doesn't matter if you're the only person with any money. So the idea that if everybody else is starving, they're going to come for you one way or the other. Yeah. And either they're going to come through you through regulations, whether they come through uh, the idea of taxes, whatever it may be, or even in certain cases, obviously violence, as we've seen history has shown us. And those are the types of things that, that are, you know, where people need to understand that this is something that you're as much at risk as the people that you're automating out of a job. Yes, I, I, I think that, that 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 needs to be understood. And it's it's hard because I, I think that if you're CEO of a company, you got to be CEO by focusing on the one company that you're, you know, you're focusing on the thing that directly affects you and the one thing that you're proud of or the one thing that you founded. You know, you're and that's a natural 
impulse. That's what makes you successful is because you're, that's your baby and that's what you're focusing on. But I think this is a pivotal moment right now where businesses have to kind of understand that, that fundamental thing of like, if you keep going down this direction, you're going to be king of an ant colony. That's all right. that's going to be exactly. left. You're exactly. going, you're going, you know, and that's not really fun because ants aren't very challenging and they're not really the most right. engaging, <laughs> engaging things to rule over, you know, good for you. So if you really want to be a powerful business tycoon in a powerful country, you got to start, you know, and I think, you know, maybe the government can give like a helping hand or a helping push in this direction, but there has to be that understanding of like every single time you create a job that doesn't pay a livable wage, every time that you outsource an another job, every time you automate another job, you know, you're coming closer and closer to becoming the ant king. Right. And I, and I think that, and again, there's, there are, innovative ways of looking at this like uh, I, and I'm I'm not familiar as uh, as familiar as I should be with Andrew Yang's um, uh, what is it basically where you're compensated for your for your for your own personal data if somebody's going to oh yeah on. he wanted to give like a dividend uh, an yeah. inform uh, like it, a, from big tech yeah essentially there's a dividend for you know your information you know giving up your information and I do need to study that a little bit more in detail, uh, but those are the types of solutions that we're going to have to ha come up with, mm -hmm. where where we start to say, okay, why now we're all benefiting from this? Yes, yeah, and and it's not just the big tech company, but it's it's also the individuals that your your customers, and so that's not you know it, it's it's. Again, I think the really challenging part is going to be really kind of understanding where we are in in uh, the way the system's functioning right now. Because there are programs that are in place, yeah, that are supposed to be helping people that are not helping people. That needs to be analyzed just as closely as as something that say these new ideas in addition to these new ideas. You know. So I, what, what's very interesting about what you're saying and just got, you know, and it's like when we really think about platforms like, you know, like Facebook and YouTube, they're really generating profit off of us entertaining each other. Because when you really think about it, when someone creates a funny meme and posts it on Facebook, that's a dude or a girl working for free, right? They're, they're actually sure. working for free posting something on Facebook to entertain their friends. That's like a free employee. Like it's almost, you know, in some ways it's ingenious that like they have gotten us to like, you know, you know, if you think about like uh, T, uh, you know, Barnum and Bailey circus, right? Well, those guys had to hire clowns and acrobats right, right, and people right. to entertain us, right? Right, right. These companies have gotten us to work for free and entertain each other. And they're making way more money uh, than Barnum and Bailey ever thought imaginable. You know, one example, you know, I always thought about this is that, you know, instead of having to hire actors to be in a commercial, we're the commercial. Yes. And yes. I mean, you know, that that's really where we are now. And, and that's what social media is to a certain degree. They've gotten us to be the advertisements for whatever products and and companies that that they want to, uh, you know, that they want to push. So, for example, even if it may be a restaurant, well, I'm going to this restaurant, I'm going to 
now I'm showing my friends on social media that I'm going to this restaurant. Now everybody wants to go to this restaurant. And, you know, in the background here is Facebook and, and, and you know, the, or whatever media platform that people how, how many countless videos have you seen where it's like, hey, guys, I'm going to be reviewing the new Samsung Galaxy. You know, and it's like, you know, that's free. Even if, like, it's not the best review in the world, that's free marketing. Oh, free, sure. free marketing. And, okay, sometimes the company will give them a free phone or something for it. I, I've heard of stories like that. But, like, generally speaking – uh, a $500 phone that the company gave you for free to review it is not the same as a 60K job with a 401k and health insurance. It's not, you know, so you're getting, you know, all of this free labor, uh, free intellectual creation, like the whole, the whole industry of journalism has been completely destroyed because there's so many darn people who are writing free blogs and putting that up, you know, whereas every, every person that's putting up a blog, well, you know, that's a journalist. That's, that's, that's a journalist out there now that, that is out of a job or something like that. And what we need to be saying is that there's obviously tasks for us to be doing, What's the question that we need to be asking is why aren't we being compensated for these very important tasks that we are doing? That's that's, that's the thing. It's like just, you know, like we make it seem, oh, there's no jobs left. There's nothing to be doing. I mean, there's always something to be doing. There's always value. People could be writing books. People could be uh, creating media channels and doing all sorts of stuff. It's just like we need to start monetizing and start incentivizing this behavior. You know, it's not right that people are just doing this for free forever and ever and ever and not, not seeing anything from it. Right. And I, and I, and I think that, you know, this really gets to the heart of another thing that we're, you know, the idea when you have free labor doing yeah. things, the wealth gap, I mean, that's something that legitimately can be addressed. And, and, I, and now there are various policy ways that you can address that as well. Um, but that's something, that's a measure, I think, that people ought to be looking at, politicians in particular, as a way of trying to figure out what programs are actually going to work Yeah. You know, with this. What policies are actually going to be effective in helping close that, wage, wage, that, that wealth gap, not wage gap necessarily, but wealth gap and 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 that to me is something where uh i haven't heard anything from either side of the aisle really you do hear things but it's lip service yeah because yeah. it's never well i mean i you know you do hear people speak about the idea of billionaires and too many billionaires and which for which i'm in agreement but that's not that gets you halfway there you know they are not even really it's more than that you know, there's, there's these, the gap is, is, is much bigger than just, a, I don't know how many billionaires there are in the world, but, uh, and the rest of us. Yeah. But, but so I think that there are systemic issues that really need to be analyzed on how to close that gap as a, as a way, as a solution to these. And, and again, I, I don't know if they're public works uh, programs. I don't know. I don't, it's still not clear to me what the solution is because it's such a complex problem. You know, you can't just hire people to do something and to think it's going to be sustainable. Well, and, what if, yeah. you know, and here's an idea of maybe, and I wish, you know, I don't know how to code, but maybe someone who's listening who knows how to code can steal this idea off of me. 
you know, since we have such a, an anger and hostility towards big tech, what if somebody went out there and created a new platform, okay? And obviously they're putting in the hard work and spending long hours coding this darn thing and they deserve to be CEO and make tons of money and be rich. But what if someone created a new version of Facebook, a new version of, of YouTube where you actually got paid for being on these platforms. Like, like, like I think that that, that, that is something, because like if you suddenly started paying people to be behind screens, well, now, now the content that people are organically generating is they, they are now reaping rewards off of that. And I'm telling you, whoever, came, whoever actually implemented that idea, because if, you, if Joe, would you watch something on YouTube if there was another platform that paid you to watch that same thing? Well, I mean, uh, no, I mean, the reality is no, but I, I, I think it's where there's just this competition for our time. Yeah. And, and what happens is ultimately like we, you're right. I would jump to another platform in a moment, but there's places where people are centralizing and that's where, unfortunately, that's, that's where a lot of these companies are getting their power. So it's, 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 it, it, you know, you're trying to reach as many users as you can. And, and that's where the, the, the challenge, I think, and I need to really go back and look at the antitrust uh, approaches that are being now being kicked around with uh, potentially Amazon, Facebook, uh, and Google, and, and really start to think about that, because I do think that there, that may be an option as well. But it's still, there's a lot of issues that come with antitrust that, uh, you know, unforeseen um, results uh, based on, on uh, you know, actions that the government has taken. Right. So in certain ways, you know, Rockefeller benefited from antitrust more than he would have if he stayed together. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's those issues as well that exist. So... Because I think I, I think that like the um, you know to to form to form like another one of these like social media platforms or any any of these other things like yeah there is overhead you probably have to have office space and really powerful servers but it's not the kind of overhead that you have when you're building let's say a Model T right I don't I don't think you're sure, I don't no, you, no. I don't think your cost you, you know your your barrier of entry is a lot lower. So I, I, I do think that th this is like an area that, that we could start investing in to, to, to you know, I, and again, there's all, there's so much value. Like I, I've always said this, you know, and I read, I read this one, our article that said that like never work for a company that doesn't know how to make you make value. You know, like, like if, if there's a company that says, well, we really can't pay you or something like that. Well, you know, you, they're just not trying hard enough, you know, because right, it's like right. any, any, any time that you have flesh and blood human beings, there's always a way to make, and this sounds callous, but there's always a way to make that, to bring value out of that person, you know, and, and Barry might vary from person to person, but there's always, there's always that potential to do that. And I think that we're just not being creative enough. I think, I think this is a, a creativity problem where it, it's just like everything that I'm hearing is not solution oriented. It's like the economy is going to collapse. We're going to all go on UBI or maybe not. And, and, and it's going to be a revolution and so forth. And I'm like, all of these things could be solved with some creative thinking. 
and that's that's what it's, what's very sad about this is that the, the there are, there is a way out of this it just requires ideas that just have never been implemented before or at least experimenting with ideas that have never been implemented yeah and before. i think that that's that requires us to be flexible yeah um, and and requires us to be flexible with our politics and, absolutely and, and that's that's really the that's that's why it's so important for politicians to really kind of see the underlying issues because they're again just like the billionaires uh they have a lot to lose in this, in this they do they, they have a lot to lose in this process as well as they had witnessed on january 6th is that you know they do have a lot to lose if you get people you know now granted were they ever really at risk uh you know i'm sure that to some degree they were um you know but the next time it may be much more calculated uh, of a uh, of an attack of sorts and so they do have a lot at risk here and yeah I think that we're looking out for them and, and you know it's it's weird but like in a way like a, you know like a society everyone in a society becomes richer when everyone is rich you know like right, that's right. it's just it's just that simple like as the tide gets higher everybody gets richer and you know okay yes there's always like taxation sucks higher taxes suck and initially there's like that punch in the gut that hurts and i get that i absolutely get it but in the long run you're going to be way wealthier and way more powerful you know over you know over a colony of humans than ants that that's that's what i keep i keep driving that message home over and over and over and over again i'm not I'm not this super idealist that thinks that we are all just lovey-dovey teddy bears that like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a realist, but I think that you can be powerful if you're thinking about the long game. Like, I, I think that it's in our collective interest to act a certain way. I, I agree. And, I, and unfortunately, right now, it doesn't seem like um, there that, that people are mostly in, a, you know, in a, at least understanding of what you're saying. And, and 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 I hope it doesn't take anything too serious in order to get their attention for the future, um, because we're right now we're at a we're at a point, and this is what the pandemic has really brought out, is that people are, are going to go from they were already hurting, yeah, they're going to go to really hurting, and and I think that that puts us at a there's a there's a really big risk here going forward. And if, you know, again, I, I think we need people that are going to either talk to each other or abandon their ideologies. And really, I know this sounds idealistic and, and you know, where, but there, there, are, there are a lot of problems right now that if this 1.9 trillion doesn't come back with some solutions for people, that you're going to see a lot of people that are going to be very angry. Yes. And, and I and I think that and I think that their politicians need to start looking at problems and not necessarily programs either. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, that, that's the other part about this this process. I, I think that that's a that's a critical thing. Where what do I mean by that? You know, and we've talked about this is, you know, there's an opioid addiction. There's these types of issues that are like cancers to our society. Mm -hmm. um, so. It's not again. It's not just getting the person off of opioids. 
It's getting them employed so they don't go back onto opioids. Thank you. Th thank you. You stole the words right out of my mouth. Absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, again, I, I get that we need short-term remedies, short-term boosts. You know, I, I consider it like cortisone shots. We all need, we, you know, like you're in pain, you get a cortisone shot, but you're going to have to get that, sh that, that surgery sooner or later. And what do you want that surgery to look like? Do you want it to be 1917 Russia or do you want it to be a brand like a, a more powerful, robust economic system that propels us well into, you know, the 21st century? I think that's the that's the choice that we have right now before us. And right. it looks it look it looked like I keep, I, there's no answers. Come talk to me and come talk to Joe. We've got answers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm always a. I'm always up with I'm not, ideas. I'm not, hey, I'm not saying that every one of my ideas is going to fly to the moon, but at least we're trying. Joe, thank you so much for at least trying with me out here. Hey, anytime, Aaron. And it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. This concludes the 108th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azarod.